Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. back into the house of mystery i'm al warren mr dave martino is in the room i am here yeah once again yeah once again <laughs> always 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 so how was the super bowl did you watch that that manly <laughs> stuff you not. do what do you mean you yeah. did not don't, you know don't you do football no see I was, i've never been in the football i never played so i never really cared Geez, I was gonna I was gonna text you last night too, but then I thought, oh no, God, he'd be right into the football thing and having a big party and eating chips and <laughs> doing all that no. sort of stuff, right? So, wow, I've never I've never been into uh, football, so jeez, I don't even know who won. It doesn't matter. No, <laughs> hey, the Patriots didn't play, so who cares? Oh, I see. That's how it is. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> I mean, I hear more about the. Um, halftime show nowadays than I do about the football game. Yeah. Um, especially on social media, which I can't, I don't quite understand. A whole lot of nagging about a free show that doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> <laughs> and about whether she lip synced or not, or whether it was boring or not, or whether it was good music or not. And it's just kind of, okay, well, I, just, I don't know. You, you don't have to watch it, right? <laughs> it's like, don't, don't, don't you go and drink your beer and talk about the game? And, yeah. I don't know. Watch the Puppy Bowl. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> anyway. Well, 
It's another exciting day that people spend a lot yes. of money on. Um, I heard something like $16 trillion in betting or something on that. Really? I think, wow. wow. Boy, no wonder the uh, economy's bad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm being silly. So now, uh, okay, another start of another week, and we have a... Another great writer here. So um, her last book is called Crystal Blue Murder. It's a mystery series. This is book three, Detective Perot. Um, so let's let's talk to her about that. Sarah Lynn Richards, so thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So um, first of all, like that's, I, I noticed the name Parrot. Um, Perot, I guess, is what it is. It's actually Parrot. Oh, okay, because I was, I was kind of looking at it, and because of the spelling, I'm thinking... I'm thinking of, of a, a weapon. Isn't that the name of a, a rifle? Well, it, he's actually a nod to Agatha Christie's Hercule Poirot. Right. I kind of thought that. but And he has a bird as a pet, so the parrot theme is kind of carried through the series. But I pronounce his name Parrot. How did, how did this series, this is book three, three, so how did it start for you? Like, where did you come up with the idea? It actually did not start as a series. It started as a murder mystery, a locked room mystery that takes place in a very elite community in rural Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. It's called Brandywine Valley. And when I started writing the book, I was so focused on this gathering of 13 old friends who meet for a weekend at a country mansion and one of them turns up dead. And I was so wrapped up in creating those characters and who had motives to kill the person that died and, and what their backstories were that I, I was completely ignoring the fact that I would need a detective. So when I finally got to the place where the detective comes onto the scene, I realized Sarah this is your protagonist. And it, that was a big aha moment for me. And I had to really backtrack when I did revisions to make sure that he was front and center from the beginning of the book. So I never expected this to be a series, but when the book came out, it was uh, Detective Parrot was extremely popular. And I got this big hue and cry of, we, we need more and that's how the series was born. So I, I hate to admit it because he's one of my favorite characters ever, but he was an afterthought. Well, that would only hurt his feelings. Right. <laughs> so how do you develop a character like that? Um, did you have detective history in your life, or where, why did you decide to do a, a mystery like this, a uh, murder, and have a detective as your main character? Like, Have you always been into mystery? I have. Uh, I used to read Nancy Drew when I was a little girl. I think a lot of female mystery writers got their start with Nancy Drew and later Agatha Christie. And um, one of my favorite mystery writers is also Michael Connolly. So I don't just read the women writers. But I love mysteries because they're intellectually stimulating. I love creating the puzzle. I love solving someone else's puzzle. And they're also emotionally stimulating because you really have to analyze the characters and their motivations and their needs, their personalities, in order to figure out who would do something as dastardly as commit a murder. And it just 
murder mysteries just really intrigue me, so I wanted to create them. Well, do you uh, create the puzzle first, or do you start with the plot? Uh, how, how does that work? I think everybody has a different modus operandi, but I always start with the characters. Somewhat the setting also, like the characters in the place that they're in. So my series, the characters are in a very well-to-do community, one of the most wealthy communities in America. And the detective, of course, is not wealthy, and he's an outsider in the community. So all of the roadblocks that the suspects throw at him, he is sort of impervious to those, and he's determined to get through all the obstacles to solve the mystery. So I'm really starting with characters, with the people on the murder side and the, per the people on the solution side, and how they interact when it comes to uh, investigating and solving the murder. So it's not, I really start with characters and setting, and then plot evolves from that. How do you, how do you do, uh, write your, your, um, your place and your location? Like when you're talking about the... 1%, like the richer place and stuff like that. So is, is a setting written like a character? Yes, the settings become like a character. Uh, one of my books is set in um, a very underprivileged area of the country. I go from the extreme, extremely rich to extremely poor. And I've been fortunate in my life to experience both of those settings personally. And so... Uh, I'm very, I, I try to be very authentic in representing the people that flock to each one of those settings and uh, the way that they behave. And I, and I also like to show that people are people. It doesn't matter if you're really rich or really poor, you still have joys and challenges in your life and things to overcome. How do you experience your characters when you're writing them? Do you experience them like uh, like a movie? Do you hear them? Do you see them? Like what? Tell us your process in that. My process is very similar to that of an actor who actually goes into the zone of the setting and becomes that character. Once I once I am just mentally and emotionally in a scene, I can let my characters act out for me the way a story should go. And I have a perfect example of how that happened when I was writing Murder in the 1%. I was writing a chapter where characters were going horseback riding, and I knew who was there, why they were there, what the circumstances were, what the horses were like, what the weather was like. And I was completely in the zone. And I had planned this chapter to a degree. But while I was experiencing that as I was writing, an accident happened that I did not plan. It just, it was like, I was surprised by it. It just happened. There was an accident. And that became a pivotal plot point in the book, and it was completely unplanned by me. My characters made it happen. Well, that's interesting. Uh, do the characters make things happen in your real life, too, or is that just... Well, I think so. <laughs> I, I mean, don't, don't oh. people influence your real life? You can't exactly plan every single thing that's going to happen to you in it. Like today, when you wake up in the morning, 
there are people that will change your day, and that's how life is, and that's how my books are, too. Well, how do you craft dialogue? Uh, do you have an inner monologue? Can you hear characters? Um, do you have some other way, some other process as, as to uh, how, you, how, how you create the way your characters speak? Well, a lot depends on the point of view that I have chosen for the book and, and the characters themselves. But dialogue is probably the most important way that you can develop character and show character because the way we speak gives so many clues about us. It, it gives our educational background. It gives our region of the country. It gives our, our attitudes, our personalities. So dialogue can be really tricky. It, it also can be very fun to write. I, I have some personal rules that I use, um, especially if I'm in a deep point of view where everything in the story is coming through one character. Then the dialogue is, you know, very intimate and personal and immediate and close to the character. I, I try to keep the, keep the narrative voice away from the story. I keep, try to keep the dialogue as close to the story as possible. Who's your favorite character in, in this book? In Crystal Blue Murder? Yeah. I, you know, I'm reluctant to say who, who favorites are because it's like picking who your favorite child is. But I, I would have to say Detective Parrot is one of my all-time favorite characters, not only that I write, but also that I read. And part of the reason for that is that he is – uh, an amalgamation of a lot of the really fine students that I had in an inner city school where I was a, a teacher and an administrator. And he comes from an underprivileged background, but from a very loving home. And he was talented in football. He got a football scholarship to Syracuse. He decided he wanted to make his mark on the world through the criminal justice system. And he's got a great moral compass. He's not afraid of people. He's not afraid of institutions. But he's smart, and he's organized, and he's a great husband, and um, just a, an all-around great person. How much of yourself goes into, to, into your characters? And, for instance, with Parrot, like how much of you was in that character? Oh, that's a, a great question to ask because Hare is much younger than I am. He's African-American. He's male. He's come from a different, completely different background from me. He, he came from a single-parent home. So he's as different as, he's as different from me in so many ways on the outside. But on the inside, he has to be a lot like me because I created him. And sometimes he thinks like me. He makes fun of himself sometimes. He's got a great sense of humor. When, he comes, when it comes right down to it, he cares a lot about people. And he's, he's a very giving person. I think he does have a lot of me in him. But from the outside, you would say he's completely different. Well, you know, when you're, when you're writing these books, these mysteries, so there is a killer amongst the crowd that you're writing. Um, how do you get into the 
mind and dialogue of a killer and write in that aspect? Like, how do you self, how do you put yourself into that place where you can uh, clearly um, make it sound real? I, you know, I've been asked many times, how why do you write mysteries? How can you possibly write about violence when you're such a genteel lady? And I do find it very hard to put myself in the shoes of a killer because I, I would never even fathom myself in that situation. And yet I have to put myself in that situation if I'm going to portray it accurately. And I guess of all the kind parts of writing, that's the part that I'm most uncomfortable with. There's a thriller that I wrote called Bad Blood Sisters, and I had to, I made some bad things happen to my main character, my point of view character. And I was so closely identified with her that I was making those bad things happen to me. And the killer in that book is a really bad dude. And I had a, a real hard time with him. I really struggled. But I got through it, and, and so did my character. Do you, do you select your victims from people you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> not really, I don't. Oh, not really, okay, so give us the names. <laughs> tell us what's really... You won't tell anyone. I, 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 I'll admit that the thought has crossed my mind a few times, <laughs> but I really don't. I don't, I don't have that much hate in my heart for anybody. Well, yeah. I just, I, some, some writers will say that they've, um, even if it's someone they know slightly, someone that just did something mean or said something bad to them someday or cut them off in line and stuff, they sometimes take that character and they end up as, uh, you know, a victim in their books. That's <laughs> the revenge of the mystery writer. But yeah, that's it. You know. So when you when you're writing these, but do you have a um, a meaning in mind that you want people or readers to take away from the book besides the mystery or the entertainment value of the book? Yes, I always do, and that changes from book to book depending on what what the real topic of the book is. But one, one of the things that runs through all of my books is about it's that humanity has more things in common than it has as differences. In other words, we're more alike than we are different from people. Uh, and I think the world would be a better place if everybody believed that and acted that way. <laughs> I, I, I would like to think that people who read my books would have more tolerance and more respect, um, more understanding for people who might be different from they are from the way they are. Yeah, but it, it that doesn't always happen, though, does it? You know. Um. <laughs> no, some people are just reading it for the mystery. Yeah, well, and and, and I would imagine. Okay, so your bad guy or bad girl, the, the person that's doing the bad thing in the book. Um, in their mind, they probably think they're doing something that they're doing for a reason. They think it's correct, and that that's quite often the um, the hard thing to show, or to show it in the light where you're not making them look good, but you're just exposing kind of why they feel a certain way. I don't know if that makes sense, but really, none of my characters are all good, and none of them are all bad either. And I think that's true of most people. Even the slimiest person may have some 
redeeming qualities. And even the very best person has some, you know, demons, some things that plague him. Yeah, that's Dave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well how do you, how, speaking of characters, how do you keep track of uh, your characters, everything in a book or, or everything in, in a complete series, uh, the continuity and all that stuff? Do you have a series of, or, or a set of tools or a process? Well, the more books I write, the harder it is to keep track of certain things. I, when I was writing the first book, I had a character sheet, like an Excel document. And I had hair color and eye color and um, other pertinent facts that I wanted to remember. I didn't want somebody to have gray eyes in, the, in Chapter 1 and green eyes in Chapter 21. And there, there are more things than that. To, to have to remember. I, I will say that Microsoft Word in the search box has been a great boon because if I want to go back and see, did I name somebody's wife in the first book? Did I give that person a name? Because that person is reappearing in my third book and I don't want her to have a different name. So it's easy to go back with the search box and see, you know, Google the the guy's name and see if his wife was ever named, things like that, or if his eye color was ever named. You write your dialogue. Do you write the characters in first person, or how do you? What what point of view do you use in your books? Well, they're different, but I I've never used first person first person point of view. I tried it a few times, and it seemed like I was saying the word I too many times. It was just awkward for me. I, 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 and I, I just, I guess I don't really enjoy reading first person as much as I do third person, and I think I'm able to do more with third person, especially close point of view, or deep point of view, that it's also called, and so I've done some experimenting with that, and as my books have gotten, you know, as I've written more and more books, I think my point of view has strengthened so that it accomplishes what I need to, to accomplish for that character who is telling the story. How did you get into writing? Like what, what made you decide to go into writing, period, from your last career, which I believe you said you were teaching? I was an educator. An educator. So how, how, did, how did that come about? Well, I always wanted to be a writer. And when I was in high school, I had two teachers who saw that I had some talent and said, you need to be a writer. And one of them made me enter every writing contest that she could find. She assigned it to me as a, you know, as a, not a pass-fail either. She graded those assignments. I had to enter all of these contests, and I actually won them all. And I think that may have been a function of so few people entering contests. She really fired my desire to be an author. And I came home and told my parents, I'm going to be an author when I grow up. And they were like, no, you're not. That's not a real job. So when I went to college, my parents insisted that I get a teaching certificate so that I would have something to fall back on in that day. That's the way parents talk to their daughters. And I didn't really want to be a teacher until I took student teaching. 
and actually was in front of a class, and I really fell in love with teaching. It was a great career for me. I met a lot of families, a lot of students, a lot of fellow teachers. I was immersed in lives that were not my own, but I had influence in them. And I also became an administrator and a school improvement consultant. And all those years, I tried to write, but I really didn't have the time to dedicate to sustained writing. So when I stopped doing all of the educational things, I decided it's now or never. Let's get started with this writing career. So I published my first book in 2013, and it was a children's book. And uh, I published my first mystery in 2018. So I, I don't regret all of those years that I was teaching because I, I got great material to write about. But I also have such an enriched life. I, I've had so many experiences, so many incredible people in my life. So I, I feel like it makes me a much better author, having come through all of that. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. What exactly gave you the courage, let's say, to, to send your first book off to a publisher, for instance? Well, that's a great question. I, I didn't think of it in terms of courage. I just had this passion to tell stories and I, I felt that my first book was ready to be read and ready to um, hit the world so I didn't feel like it need I needed courage I just needed the publisher it was I've, I've considered this entire journey as an author as just fun it's a passion of mine it's a love of mine that was uh, really a dream deferred. And now that it's here, I'm just enjoying every part of it immensely. The publishing part, the marketing part, the uh, talks that I give, all of it is just incredibly wonderful. Do you, ever, do you ever go back to your first books and look at them and reread them and, and think about changing them? I, I think every single author feels that way about books that have been published, there are certain things that you think, oh, why did I decide that? I, I listened to one author who has a pen name, and she gave a webinar, and she said she regrets her pen name, but it's too late to change that. And there are certain things that we write that I think we would like to change, but they're published, and they're there, and it's very hard to go back and make changes. It's better to just learn and grow and make the changes in your future writing. So I guess you, you were saying how this wasn't planned to be a series, so now you've got it into one, and that how far do you think you'll go with that? I don't know. I really take it one book is at a time. I have had this pattern of writing a detective parrot novel and then writing a standalone and then write another detective parrot novel, and then a standalone. And that has worked for me until now. And now I've had a lot of people, a lot of my readers, really want more detective parrot books. So I didn't do a standalone this time. I'm writing two consecutive detective parrot books. And I'm enjoying it, but I don't want to burn out on him. 
I don't want to intrude in his life 24-7. I like to give him some space, and I like to give myself some space. So I don't know how many more there will be, but because he's a young guy, he was 26 at the beginning of the series. He's now 29. I think he's still got some growing to do and some changing to do, some things that he has to confront in his life, as well as the mysteries that present themselves. Well, what advice would you give to someone like yourself who had a career, who's always had a burning desire to write, didn't feel like they had the time to write, and now they have that time? What, what advice would you give them into getting into the writing field? I actually have taught creative writing to uh, people who are 55 and older at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, and so I'm giving that advice all the time in my classes. The main thing is just write. Just do it. Don't procrastinate. Tell your stories. Mine your stories. Make the best of your stories. Get them out there. And don't try to take too many big bites at one time. In other words, don't start with um, worrying about publishing and marketing when you're still in the manuscript phase. Just do one step at a time. Slow and steady wins the race. And um, know that there are lots of, of wonderful joys ahead, that every part of the experience is is really fun in every every step of the way. So now each book, uh, each one of these in the series is a standalone, right? You don't have to start with number one, though it would be better because you learn more about your main character, but they all stand alone, correct? Yes, you can read them in any order, and there are no spoilers. Oh, that, yeah. Now, and you, so do you outline these ahead of time when you're when you're writing them, or do, is it just totally come as it goes type thing as you go along? I I don't do a deep outline because I don't want to pen myself in. I do have, in my mind, I have my characters, and I have a beginning, middle, and an end. So I know how I think the book is going to end. Sometimes I surprise myself and change that along the way. But for the most part, I know how the book is going to end. I know who did it. I don't really have the middle. They call it the messy middle. I don't have the middle all worked out in my head because I want to leave myself open for change, like I described this horseback riding incident that really improved the book. I, want, I don't want to have an outline that's so tight that I know everything that's going to happen, then it's not fun for me to write, to write it. And I think if I'm not having fun writing it, then my readers aren't going to have fun reading it. Uh, the downside of not having a deep outline is that sometimes you paint yourself into a corner. And I've done that a few times where I have to work out a really tricky plot point, and it's probably harder to work it out without an outline than it would have been if I had done an outline to begin with. But I think it's worth that in order to have some spontaneity in my writing. So it's a risk-benefit thing. How do you know when the book is done? How do you, is it a feel thing? Do you just know, okay, that's it, that's enough? Well, in a mystery, that's pretty easy because you have solved the mystery and you wrap things up as they would be wrapped up in real life 
when a mystery is solved, when a court case is judged, uh, when someone is brought to justice, that's the end of that story. So it's pretty easy to know, okay, this book is complete. Um, the harder part, I think, is pulling together all of the threads that you have created into a satisfying ending for the reader. And that can be tricky because you may have forgotten about a thread that you wrote in Chapter 1 by the time you get to the last chapter of the book. Yeah. So how do you think each one of these books, when you complete a book, how do you think it changes you or affects you, or does it? It does. I, I'm definitely moved by my characters, by the action, by the things that have taken place. I'm Sometimes I'm thrilled. I'm happy for some characters. I'm sorry for others. Um, I'll say that the, the characters in my books are real people to me. They're as real as friends, neighbors, family. I think about them long after I finished writing the book. Something will happen and I'll think, what, what would Preston think about this? And it's just like in real life. So I think that what they go through I vicariously go through, and what lessons they learn, I also learn. And, and how much research do you do for one of these, And in, in, in the sense of, like, even the type of murder, or maybe, you know, if they use, like, a type of poison or stuff like that, or maybe the slang language or location that you're in or timing. And, you know, like, for instance, on, on this crystal blue murder, you've got, you know, a meth lab going on here explosion and and so i i take it you don't have a math lab at home so um how much re research do you do i do an incredible amount of research probably more than anybody else that i know just because i love doing research i love learning new things myself i love talking to experts I love delving into things that i don't know uh, they always say write what you know but I like to write what I want to know as well as what I know. So uh, in my first book, because I don't live in a 1% community, I did a ton of research into what the lives are like in that community. And I would say I probably have one or two pieces of research on every page of that book. The book that I did the least amount of research on was a murder of principle, the one that takes place in the urban high school. Because I was part of an urban high school experience for so many years that that just kind of poured out of me. But I did do research for that, too, because I had police and I had gangs and I had, you know, certain other aspects that I still wanted to know more about. I think the research phase is really important. I, I think every author uh, needs to do it, and some of us like it, some of us don't. I happen to love it. So if someone's never heard of you before and you were uh, to choose one book, which one book would you tell them to pick up to, to kind of get uh, your style of writing? My last book, my newest book. <laughs> Whatever the newest book is, I think that's, that's where I am now. Hopefully they'll enjoy it.
And and who were your biggest influences, whether they're writers or not? Maybe they could be music, they could be television or a movie or actor or wh- whatever. Who who influences you the most? Well, I guess I have to say teachers. I, I've had some incredible teachers whom I I admire and respect and and try to emulate. One of one of my favorite writers is John Irving, and what I what I totally admire about him is that he was unafraid to write the craziest, implausible plots, but really lively characters that for the for the milieu that he's presenting work. And um, so his books are quirky and strange and fun and deep. And I I just really admire his ability to do that. He's also a teacher of writing. And I guess he kind of embodies the writer-teacher in me. Well, you know, it sounds like also that you really get into your characters. Uh, Do you need to decompress between chapters and books? Or um, do you not need to do that? And and if you do, uh, what do you do? I think when I put a book to bed, I do have to get some distance from it, uh, from my characters and also from the plot, the, the storyline. Because if I, if I keep that going in my head, I can't move on to the next story. Um, so I, what I do is read other people's books. And I, I really think that you can't be a good writer if you're not a good reader. I learned so much from fellow authors, uh, the way that they write, the way that they think. Um, So I I like to get into the heads of other people's characters as a way to kind of disengage from my own and give myself a break. When I'm reading, I don't have to be as intense, and um, that's a luxury. So now, uh, do you like to interact with readers and fans and stuff like that? Do you have social media set up that they can follow or um, approach you on or a website? How do people find you? I do, and that's the absolute best part of being an author is interacting with readers. So I do have a website. It's my name, com. I have a email monthly newsletter that goes out, so I have a number of readers that receive that and and we get a chance to interact once a month it's wonderful because there's the email newsletter will go out and then various people who receive it will respond and so we have some dialogue going on back and forth that month um i'm also on social media especially facebook twitter linkedin pinterest i haven't done tiktok i go out to i speak at meetings I do a lot of book clubs. Some of them are in person. Some of them are on Zoom. I'm part of two different critique groups. I'm part of several, two different mystery writers groups. So my my life as an author has given me exposure to so many people, such a wonderful community. And that extends to publishers other authors that are part of that publisher, bookstore people, publicists. There are so many people, people like you, 
who I, I get to meet and talk to and interact with and learn something from you also. It's just great. Well, of course, now we're going to have that up on our website as well. People can find you with one click. Be easy in case they can't remember. Um, so now the COVID and stuff, how was, how was writing over COVID? Writing was my salvation, especially during lockdown and all of that isolation. I'm a real people person, and being isolated in my house with just my husband and my dogs would have been just horrible if it had not been for my writing. But it gave me an opportunity to go completely into the world of my book without any distraction. I wrote way more hours every day, every night I was writing. I was very close to my characters, very close to, to my schedule. And it was the, I produced a book from start to finish in nine months, which was the quickest of any of my books. And it was because I had no distractions. And for me personally, it was wonderful because I didn't have to be me. I didn't have to be at this time in history that was so scary. I didn't have to worry about COVID and being exposed and all the people that were getting sick. I could be in the world of my book doing something else, being someone else, and it, it was a great distraction. So in a way, kind of an escape and stuff. Do you, do you think that the, the, the kind of the fear or the darkness or the unknown like that that's going on outside of where you live and stuff, um, do you think it seeps into the writing and does it, does it get a little darker, you think, in your writing? That's a good question. I, I try not to let that happen. The book that I wrote during COVID was a thriller, and so it was my darkest book of all the books. But I don't think that COVID is really why, um, because I really blocked out COVID when I was doing that writing. I think a lot of people read to escape from the world's problems, the, the sadness on the nightly news. Um, people want a break from that, and that's why they read a lot of people. So I want to be able to give my reading audience what they need in being entertained and educated and introduced to new ideas and new people through my book. So what a, uh, a good conversation. Thank you for being here. Uh, the book is Crystal Blue Murder, and the author's been our guest, Sarah Richards. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much, and I loved your questions. Thanks, Sarah You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.com. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. HouseOfMystery.com show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. 
This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.